Good morning, everyone. Again, what an incredible uh, morning we were able to have together. Um, told Bill, didn't get a chance to tell Mike how much I appreciate it. Cam, thank you. Uh, I told Bill, I said, that's not the way you want God to rewrite your sermon introduction. But it was a powerful, powerful testimony, was it not? Um, we are uh, continuing a little mini-series that we're doing here on the uh, tiny little book of Philemon. Um, I don't know if I've said this in the last class or not, but uh, I, I think of Philemon as kind of the laboratory where you get the lecture and the other ones, right? You ever, you ever remember science where you would do, like, read the book stuff, but, you know, chemistry was always fun, so you'd read all the chemistry stuff, and then you'd go blow it up in the lab. So uh, Philemon is the blow it up in the lab kind of thing. Paul talks about the gospel, but Philemon is, and I, I'm obviously overstating the case, all of the books of the New Testament are laboratory as well. But, but this is like, I'm going to take the gospel, Paul says, and bring it right down into your living room. Uh, as we said last week, this is written first to a family and, uh, and not even a church, although the church is addressed as well. Uh, I want to kind of, um, we didn't totally finish last week, so I kind of want to reorient our thoughts to what we were talking about last week and finish up there. Uh, and to do that, um, I, I, I'm reminded of a conversation I had, I think it was two weeks ago, with a friend of mine that I've known for years and has been out of church for a period of time. The church I'm talking about is not this one at all, but, but he had, um, he, he was describing to me uh, what, what God had to overcome in his life for him to come back to a spiritual gathering. And he talked about in a difficult time and season of his life, he was struggling with doubts. He was asking these questions and he brought them to his small group and to his Bible class. And when he did that, almost immediately, he felt isolated, disconnected, kind of almost shunned for having those kind of questions. Again, this is not that kind of church that would never happen here, but I'll never forget what he said. A few weeks ago, he was just saying, he said, of all the places that you would think would be a place that is safe to bring questions and doubts and struggles about connecting with God, you would think it would be a church, right? And, and so what we talked about last week, the, the book of Philemon is, is this, um, it, 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 it's a twist on the song I shared last week. Again, I, again, I won't sing it either, as Cam said. Um, but I just want to remind you of this, this line in that uh, Matthew West, um, uh, one of the best... Uh, most downloaded songs of the last year in Christian music, Let the Truth Be Told by Matthew West. But this was a line that, that got me, and I think about my friend. I was just sharing, um, when you think about these lines, he said, there, there's a sign on the door that says, come as you are, but I doubt it. Because if we lived like it was true, every Sunday morning pew would be crowded. But didn't you say that the church should look more like a hospital, a safe place for the sick, the sinner, and the scarred, and the prodigals? like me. Well, the truth be told, the truth is rarely told. Oh, am I the only one who says I'm fine, but I'm not, I'm broken. When it's out of control, I say it's under control, but it's not. And you don't know it, and I don't know why it's so hard to admit. When being honest is the only way to fix it. There's no failure, no fall, no sin you don't already know, so let the truth be told. A powerful song. And, and so for me, the book of Philemon is a slight spin on that song. I think Paul is singing, let the truth be lived. So the book of Philemon is a place where Paul says, you've heard the gospel of Jesus. You've heard what it means when, when he says grace and peace 
at the beginning of the letter. Those are not throwaway words for him. He's basically saying, look, the gospel of Jesus has brought this grace, this inclusion, this giftedness. The gospel of Jesus was able to bring peace or at least start bringing peace between Jew and Gentile alike. So he says, now let that gospel that you preached and heard and sung about and read about, Philemon and your family, be lived out in your everyday human relationships. Does that make sense? So that's what it looks like. And, and, um, and, and last week we talked about the, the beauty of how Paul approaches it. We just look at the opening prayer in the book. Uh, but the beauty of how Paul approaches it, he doesn't start with a negative and come like bring the appeal and request that we'll look at today. He comes from the positive. He says, look, I've heard about your faith. I've heard the stories of how your faith has spilled over to the lives of other people. And he says, so I want to build on that. Instead of bringing challenge by condemnation, he's bringing challenge by calling them up to something even more, to live out, to to let the truth be lived out in your everyday life. So we talked about that um, last week. Now I want to look at what what I believe is the key verse in in the first, well, the first chapter. There's only one chapter. Key verse in this first section of the book. So if you... Uh, have your devices look up Philemon. If you have your Bibles, uh, it's it's hard, it's wedged in there between Titus and Hebrews, so it's it's one page in my in my Bible. Uh, so I'm going to read that opening section again. You can feel free to comment and share on on anything uh, that you see there. But I really want to zero on verse six. I feel like verse six is almost the uh, the spoke, you know, the the hub in the middle of the wheel that all the spokes come off of. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to also Aphia, our sister, which may probably be his wife, Archippus, our fellow soldier, may be his son, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all this holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. And here's the verse I really want to zero on. I pray that your partnership with us, koinonia, your fellowship, your, your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Again, I just want to, I want to read that. I want to zero on verse 6. I just want to Read it very slowly. Encourage you, maybe even just close your eyes. I'm going to even just give a few seconds after I read it to just sit. Is there a word in this packed sentence that grabs you? Is there something that convicts or challenges or encourages you? Again, this is practical stuff on how do we live out this Jesus thing in everyday human relationships. Anything that you see here, and then we've got our, our runners that will get the mic to you for you notice. One more time, and then we'll take just a few seconds of quiet and just sit in this. I pray that your partnership, your koinonia, your fellowship, your sharing together with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. One more time, I'll read it, and then moment of silence. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Just sit in that in silence just for a moment. I want to hear what you have to say.
What did you hear? Maybe there's a word or phrase. Maybe there's an idea that comes out of this to you. What what grabs you in this section? I think the thing that I, or, or one thing that I see there is the us and we, the partnership, yes. but us, we, we're on the same side, yes. we're working together, we, we have this mutual uh, desire uh, that, that we want to encourage one another. Yeah, yeah I love that. Through, Isn't that great? Process. Again, Paul's sitting in the jail cell, Philemon of the church back home is struggling with this. Again, if you weren't here last time. The background of this, Philemon, in their culture, it was a very common thing. In fact, the economy was in partly based on um, indentured servitude that ends up in slavery, right? So there, uh, Onesimus is a man who's, who's na- uh, who is a, a slave of Philemon, who the, this letter is addressed to. Onesimus has run away, and while he, he, while he was gone, <laughs> he runs into Paul, and Paul leads him to Jesus, so he ends up working with Paul as a partner in his ministry. So there's a we over there. But Paul is recognized. I'm going to send this letter. And picture this. Paul doesn't just send the letter. He sends Philemon with the letter. And one other person, they go back to the church. This, this letter is read and Onesimus is there. Like he's right there. And I love that. Paul says, this isn't just your problem, Philemon. It's ours. This isn't just, by the way, your joy of all the cool stuff that's been going on while Paul's been doing his stuff, it's ours. I love that. What else? What grabs you? Where's it's coming start? Um, I think the, what comes out to me is uh, some of it is uh, deepening your understanding of every good thing we share. Yes. For the sake of Christ. So that partnership in faith, uh, his prayer is that that would be affected in deepening his understanding of every good thing he shares for the sake of Christ. So it's going to deepen that understanding of the faith yeah. that, that he has. That's beautiful. Again, so think about where we left off last time. Paul says, I've heard all this great stuff about your faith. You're starting in a good place. But Paul says, I'm not leaving it there. Can we go deeper? Can we go a little bit further? Can you recognize that there is immeasurable riches and wonder and power in the relationship with Jesus, not just with you individually, but how that plays itself out in your relationship? So Paul says, I, I, think, I almost get the sense that Paul understands that that church is at a bit of a crossroads. They've done great stuff. They've heard great things. But again, can you imagine some of the struggles that might have been going on there? Remember, this is first-generation stuff. And there are all sorts of, don't you think, this whole issue of slavery and how do we deal with these situations are part of what they're struggling with. Again, totally separate context, but think of 2 Corinthians. Like, they didn't have generations of the faith to answer some of these questions. So in 1 uh, Corinthians, for example, they didn't know what to do if you brand new came to Jesus. Nobody's ever done this before. There wasn't this Jesus movement before. So you come to Jesus and all of a sudden you are in Christ, but your, your wife or your husband is not. So they're literally asking Paul, what do we do with this? That we're, we've given our total allegiance to Jesus. The person we're married to is not. And so Paul wrestles with that through the leading of the Holy Spirit and inspired scripture to give them a, a response to that. And don't you think this church is wrestling with what do you do with this whole slavery issue? 
Because their culture was in part defined by people, again, don't think slavery is much in, in our sense, although it was just as dehumanizing and all the economics of it. But what would happen there is what literally happens all over the world today. Someone can't pay their bill, and so you give your cow or you give your land or whatever, and then after all that's done, think of, of the exodus and all that, how that happened. When you've got nothing else to give, what do you give? Yourself. So I will indenture my servitude to you, and so you will do it until you pay off the bill. And if you know anything about how this works economically around the world, is you never get out of it. Because the interest, you literally can't work your way out of it. And that's kind of what happened in that culture in a lot of ways. Now, here's the thing. The society and the culture, don't, don't forget, what Onesimus did broke the law. Now, it's a bad law, but he broke the law. And so the church back home is wrestling with, what do we do with this? Onesimus walks in the door. It's not just a welcome home. It's a theological problem. <laughs> and so Paul is wrestling with them about that. And so I love that, Kevin. He said, well, let's go deeper in understanding how the gospel of Jesus isn't just a cool sermon text, isn't just a cool song. How does it play out in our human relationships day in and day out? Thank you for that. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Deep up here. <clears throat> As I read this part of the scripture, to me, the model that comes through is mentorship. Because what we see here is I'm saying, I hope it will deepen your understanding as a result of our partnership. And so I'm humbled reading through the letters that Paul writes because he's willing to bear the responsibility of the example. To say, I'm willing not just to tell you what you need to do, but watch me live this out. Oh, I love that. And, and the beauty of mentorship is so many times when you hear what you're supposed to do, it is so much to bear to say, mm. you're asking a lot, yes. but somehow it's different when you see them live it out. Oh, when you so see great. somebody say, you can do this because I can do it and I'm no better than you are. Oh, that's so great. And so in this specific example, Paul is asking a lot of him. Yes, he is. Paul is asking a lot of him and he's not saying, this is what I expect you to do so much as saying, partner with me and live this out with me. Yes. Oh, I love that. And let's, let's think about this. This is a word that you know, there's, there's a few Greek words that if you know a little bit about it. Um, you've probably heard this before. So this word he says, and I mentioned before, the partnership in the gospel is this word koinonia, this, this communal um, sharing in something, right? We often have translated it fellowship, and, and we know the problem in churches of Christ and Baptist churches with calling it fellowship, right? What do we think of when we think of fellowship? Potluck meals, right? Right? It's a potluck meal. Uh, no, no, no. Here's here's a line. I want to I want to play with this and go deeper. And then Carl, you're gonna you're gonna uh, throw some things in here too. But I want you to have this in the back of your mind. My favorite definition. Our, our friend Randy Harris uh, described it this way. What is koinonia? What is fellowship? It's sharing in common what we have together. Listen to this part. In Christ, right? You can have fellowship and koinonia about all sorts of things, right? You can have it about sports teams. You can have it about, you know, your latest diet. You can have it about music, whatever. But, but in biblical sense of the word, koinonia is a very real sharing together, experientially sharing together what we have in common in Christ. So I want to come back to that moment and, and have you think about what are some of those things that we share together in common in Christ. We'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. Carl. Continuing to focus on that deepening your understanding uh, phrase there. In my English standard version, that is reckoned as full knowledge. Yes. 
Yes, yes. This is the result. It's, it's the conclusion of the deepening of the understanding. Yes. So it's total awareness, total, yeah, a full connection of everything that we and every good thing in Christ. Yes. Yeah. Full, complete uh, awareness and knowledge. Yes. This is one of those verses translated a bunch of different ways. So that thank you for bringing that out. If you've got other ones that will help bring it out, do it. Um, so here, here, picture the flow here. There's a movement. Paul says, we are all starting in Koinonia. We're all starting in this mutual fellowship. Keith, uh, Tim over here, I think we're saying. We're, we're all starting with sharing together in common something we have in Jesus. And Paul says, so feel this movement. There's a movement of kind of three things. So we start here in Koinonia. Then he says, I want your koinonia, I want our sharing to become effective. My favorite translation of this is operational. Right? So old Star, Star, uh, yeah, Star Wars fans, this battle station is fully operational. So we want our koinonia to be fully operational. And when that happens, Paul says, there will be a deepening in our understanding, our gnosis, our experiential knowledge. Like, I know my wife is an unbelievable human being. It's not just intellectual. It is with all of my being. Does that make sense? Now, feel this movement. We have koinonia. Paul's prayer is that sharing together in fellowship, what we share in Jesus, is operational. And when that happens, there will be an experiential knowledge that we did not have before. Hold on to that. It's really cool, powerful verse here. Yeah, Tim. Well, you basically just said what I was going to. <laughs> um, the Amplified Version says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective and powerful because of the accurate knowledge of the every good thing. And... It, what really struck me was, as I read different versions was the idea of sharing first deepens knowledge. Yes, yes, absolutely. So again, feel this. We, this is not, I told you this before, when, when Paul brings challenge, he's not saying, oh, you're going to hell here, so let's kind of, no, he's saying you're already in Christ, so what does it look like to genuinely practice discipleship in such a way that you grow up? You're mentored in such a way you grow up into it. Here's what Paul's saying. We have this gift of, and there's a thousand places we can look at the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We are given a gift of common sharing together in the life of God. Paul says, if it does not become operational, if it does not become effective, if it doesn't show up in everyday life, doesn't mean I'm going to hell. It means I'm going to miss knowing with my entire being, understanding, experiencing something that we already have good in Jesus. Does that make sense? I don't want to rush this. It seems, seems like belabor. I'm not. Uh, my, one of my favorite translations of this um, is the, the old NIV. Does anybody have the uh, 1984 translation of the NIV? Anybody have that? Or on your phones or whatever? And I should have written this down, but it was something like, in the sharing of your faith, but don't think of, the only reason I don't like that is because we're thinking of going and just telling somebody. In the sharing together of what we have in Jesus, you might come to, uh, I can't remember, to, to realize all the good things we have in Jesus. Something like that. Like, I don't even know how good it is to be in Christ until what we already have becomes operational. Does that make sense? In other words, there is an experience of the Christian life that we do not fully have until we take this incredible gift of God and put it into practice in everyday human life. 
just thinking, and maybe you can help me think this out too, how is that true? I don't know the power of the Holy Spirit to bring compassion in my heart for someone else until I actually go out and try to do it. Like, I don't even know what I'm capable of. I don't know. God has given every person in this room some unique gift. But if I just sit on the, in, the, in the back room and hold the gift right here, but I never share it, I, don't re- I have not experienced the power of what I already have in Jesus. Does that make sense? So isn't this amazing? Paul is writing to one family about one guy who left the community, and he's saying, I'm giving you the opportunity in this one human relationship to experience more of Jesus than you even knew was possible. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing? Don't underestimate the significance of how we live our lives out with each other. Don't underestimate the significance of what it's like to hear what you heard today. Not just for the people who received the blessing of the church, but those of you who gave it. Some of you didn't, wouldn't have experienced the fullness of what we share in common in Jesus if you had not shared it with Mike and the rest of the family. Does that make sense? Or on down the line. I, I don't know if, if I'm communicating well enough just how powerful this verse is to me. Like it's God has already given us a gift. But there's another, it's like, you know, the Red Rider BB gun that's still around the back of the tree. The best one is still there for when we take this incredible gift of the good news of Jesus, of the rescue of Jesus, of the community of Jesus, and make it operational in my everyday, day-to-day life. I need a book like Philemon in the Bible, otherwise we think that we live it out and we get the most out of our experience right here in a room like this. Does that make sense? Any other thoughts on that? All right, I, a, a cool, cool way to, again, we, we talk about this kind of theological idea, but I bet all of us have had experiences in our lives like this. I don't know what I've got until I get the opportunity to share it with somebody else. I just think of a couple examples of my life, and maybe this will get you stirring, thinking of your own. I remember all the way back when we were in college, uh, Melanie, I think we were freshmen, weren't we? And, and Hurricane Katrina happened way back in the day. And they, not Katrina, what was that? I can't remember which one it was. It was one of the, one of the hurricanes that came in to uh, um, uh, North Carolina. And, and so we went, we went down there as a college group, and, and I'll never forget, we're standing on rooftops, and we're, like, tearing off, like, um, old tin roofs for people. And, and, you know, especially the guys, we loved to, like, we got to destroy a house so that they could rebuild it. It was like, okay, give me a sledgehammer, we'll go do it. But I, I, I was... I was on the roof with one other guy, and I remember he and I both said to each other, I've been a Christian my whole life pretty much, but I've never felt like a Christian as much as I did today. When we were in there, we were singing songs to the community that had been devastated. We heard their stories of how God has already shown up. We weren't bringing Jesus there. He was already there, and we were encouraged by that, and we were, we were sharing something that we had that they didn't have. I remember that. I was, I was thinking as I was preparing this this week, of the first time I ever had the opportunity kind of in my moment to lead somebody to Jesus. Now, again, God did it. I was just the last guy in the chain to introduce him to him. But, but I remember, you remember this, Melody? There, there was a guy, we were back in Virginia. His name was Matt, and he started showing up at our college group, even though he's out of college. And he said, I came, he showed up on a Wednesday night, he said, because the lights were on. And I was wondering what was going on here. Like, is that a God thing or what? And, and so we, he just started showing up and hanging out with us. And I, I said, hey, would you, I love this thing. Like, I, it really, the Jesus thing is real to me. Would you want to study it? And we just, 
not the old canned approach. We just did the gospel and we just went through it. And I remember one day, I never forget, because I am, I'm the gentle guy. I'm not the challenge guy. And so most of the time, some of you might experience me differently, but most of the time. And, and, um, and there was one day, he, like two weeks in a row in our study, he kept asking me like logistics about baptism. He was like, so what happens and what do they do it and what do you wear? And like, I need the Holy Spirit to hit me over the head sometimes. And I, I just stopped and I said, Matt, you want to get baptized, don't you? He said, yes, I do. I'm like, why, why didn't I just say that before? But, and, and his life was transformed. It was just so incredible. I had nothing to do with it other than just being the one there at the door. God brought him to the house and, and I got to share it. And God literally like, all right, are you going to ask him or not? You know, get to that moment. And I appreciated it more when I got the chance to share it with him. Does that make sense? Paul's saying, I'm begging, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will, will raise up, maybe he's already doing it, moments and people and places in your life right now where you will appreciate what you have all the more when you take the opportunity to make it operational by sharing it with somebody else. Does that make sense? What a powerful, powerful verse. Um, so here's a, here's a simple application of it. And again, I want you to brainstorm with me so guys get ready to run. If our koinonia and fellowship is sharing in common what we have in common in Christ, what are some of those things? And again, let's just think about like, what do you treasure that we all have together, right? Could be good, bad. like I'll give big picture view. He talked about we have common struggles and we have common promises. Like, so what do we share together? What, what is it? There's a lot of things to keep us apart, but there's a lot of things that like, because we have Jesus, we share in common. Can you brainstorm some with me? What are some things that we share that you appreciate that we have together in common in Jesus? And you can yell it out if you want to, or you can grab a mic. Hope, right? Don't we need that at the end of this <laughs> crazy stuff we've been going through? Like genuine hope that the world could be different. Some people do not believe that. Some people aren't willing to make a sacrifice today because they do not think tomorrow will be better. That's a beautiful one. What we forgiveness yes like god says god still runs to us right he still runs and grabs us no matter where you've been no matter what you've done no matter how far you are not far enough for god we share together we walk into this room have you ever thought about it? we walk into this room forgiven we walk into this room forgiven what else shout it out what do we share together this is really important if we do this exercise well what is important to you that we share together in common in christ Freedom, absolutely. We're going to hear that, I think, next week. Mark uh, Howard is going to preach on Galatians 5.1, the freedom of how, and I'm not going to take any of that from him, so I'm going to let him do that. We share a freedom, and not just a American freedom and all that kind of stuff. There is a deep freedom. You've been set free from Christ with all the baggage, all the things that could weigh us down, and not just free from, free to be who we were called to be. I love that. What else? Community. We belong. We belong. Again, I'm talking to somebody, I keep, I keep bragging about Josh, that you guys came here in COVID. Like they were, like, we had five people in the building he, that you guys would be there. And I love it. And, and we could, I love you, man. Like we've become close in this last year, right? Because you came and we share, you let us share community together. Isn't that awesome? Yes. What else? Grace. 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 The giftedness of God. Grace is a fancy word that means gift. God is gifting us with his presence, with his life, with the power of the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit has graced you with gifts. 
And your mix of giftedness is unlike any other one in the world. Isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit is that personal and unique. What else? Maybe one or two more. Thankfulness, gratitude. We get, in this cool, uh, we get to say thank you to the one who gave it all. Phyllis Tickle, I think, is the one that, that says everything. When you go out and see an incredible sunset, when you do all that, isn't it wonderful just to have? Here's my favorite prayer. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. We get to thank the one that made it happen. Yes, maybe one more, one more. What do we share together, Tom and Christ, that you appreciate? Huh? Love, a genuine love. This isn't just feeling, right? The love. Isn't it great that we have a God who says, I'm not going to leave you kind of scratching your head to what love means. Here's what love means. You see the back corner over there? You see that big wooden thing in the back corner? God says, I'm going to show you what it looks like to love. You can have all the power in the cosmos and give it all up for the sake of another's need, right? Oh, that's so beautiful. All right, so here's the thing. I want you to think about, you don't have to say it now, but of all the things we just said, right now in your life, what do you appreciate today that we share in common in Christ, but you appreciate it very personally, right? If you have it in your head, get a word, get a thought, and just think of some peace, forgiveness, community. Before we go anywhere else in the text, here's the way to make this text live and not just be a Bible study. Who in your life will you share that with? Who in your world will you say, God, I am so appreciative that we have community that they're going to have somebody else that we're going to invite in that community. So appreciative that we have forgiveness. Hear me. Is there somebody in your life you need to forgive? As I quote scripture, God in Christ has forgiven you. Go down the list. Is there someone, not just uh, milk toast, sacrificial, Jesus went to the cross kind of love? Here's the thing. Paul says, when you do that, there is a dimension of knowledge, experience of what you already have in Jesus you would not have if you didn't do that. Does that make sense? Here's, that's why it wasn't just an idle thing for you to throw out the thing. I really, of everything else, if you forget everything we say, I pray the Holy Spirit just, just this week says, here's what I appreciate. What if this were the focus of our Christian life? To receive it, but then, here's the magic word. God, today, how can that become operational in my life? How can the battle station of the Holy Spirit against not people, but against the evil forces of the world become operational? How can I exercise what I've already been given? Isn't that powerful? One verse can be that transformative. And Paul says, I'm going to write this tiny little letter. Because he says, Philemon, you're leading a house church. You're doing great things. You've refreshed the hearts of saints. You've done all that stuff. But what you're looking at when he walks in the door, can you feel this? When Onesimus walks in the door, can you imagine the daggers? Can you imagine the questions? Maybe some people were happy. Paul says, when he walked in that door, there is an opportunity for you to experience more of Jesus than you ever thought possible. And by the way, you've already got what you need to make it happen really good any other thoughts on that section that was the part we didn't get to last week so i haven't got to this week any thoughts on that all right let's dive into this one a little bit and we won't finish that one either but it's all right it's a short book (laughs) um because now we're going to get to paul's crazy request sitting in the jail cell what he's going to ask philemon to do and again i 
I want you to feel what's going on here. Here's a guy who's been enslaved. The culture says that's all right. He goes, he's converted to Christ, and he comes back. Just for a moment, I want you to think about, like, how Paul could have written this letter. And if some of you are like me, like, I live in a future world, like, the present is not totally cool enough for me, which is all right. Some of you are created to, to help the future, the present be great. I want to get us to the next one, right? So part of me says, why didn't you just write um, a William Wilberforce letter? Some of you are nodding because you know what I'm saying. What, what am I saying, Josh? Why don't you just say, end slavery today? Like Paul's an apostle. He could play the apostle card here, and he doesn't do it. Why doesn't he just, William Wilberforce gave his life to end slavery. Why doesn't Paul just end slavery and solve a lot of the debates that even happen in this country? Instead, Paul writes in Colossians, slaves obey your masters. He does some pretty powerful and life-changing things when he talks to masters in ways that the gospel calls him to, but never would to. But why not just write a letter and say, end it. Take him back, bring an apostle card as an apostle of Jesus Christ. The gospel calls us to freedom. And why didn't he just drop Galatians 3.28 on him and we go home? In Christ, there is neither what? Junior Greek, male or female, slave or free, right? Boom, drop the mic. He does it. Let me read what he does and, and why in the world would he do it? And again, you don't have to answer that question. Just respond to what... Like, how does Paul bring the challenge to um, set Onesimus free? Because that's where he writes a letter, set him free. But boy, he could have gone a whole different way. This is what he does. The beginning of the body of the letter. Therefore, verse 8, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul. It is as, he's telling you what, what seat he's sitting in when he writes. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful to both you and to me. And I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I didn't, I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do, any grace that you would do, would not be forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason that he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He's very dear to me even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. That's a little different than saying, Paul, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, command you to set him free. He doesn't do that. What do you learn about the gospel from the way Paul brings the challenge here? I think we can learn a lot in our, our relationship. What do you learn from this? It's fascinating will see much more than I do and we'll just get started and we'll finish it next week.
Yeah, so Linda said we go in love. We don't just speak it. And I heard you say we model it first. Paul has modeled this in the way he's treated Onesimus, probably the way he's treated Philemon. I think it reads later on. We'll, we'll get there uh, next week. But by the way, you owe me your life because he led Philemon to Christ too, right? So he's modeled that. Yeah, wait, you can say something. In, in a way, I, I see this as also being just the whole relationship that we have with God. God could compel us to yes. accept him. Yes. He is God. Yes. We have no choice. He could have made us in that way. But he made us in a way that we have the ability to make the choice. We have the ability to reason. We have the ability to accept what he has offered to us oh, rather than, than compelling us. Yes. Yeah. There is a place for – sorry, I don't want to cut you off. Go. I want to say, and, and there's, there's really more beauty in it than that because by not compelling us, he gives us this opportunity to make a choice. And in the choice is the relationship that we have with him. Yes. If we were compelled to do it, there's no relationship. We're just doing it because that's what we're to do. Oh, that's so but, good. But, but we have this not compelled to accept Christ or God. We have the choice the same way here. Yeah. Paul's not compelling him to accept him back, but giving him the option of doing that yeah. and making the choice himself and therefore making it a real relationship. Yes. Again, don't rush past what we just said. Like, that's the class on that one. Like, let's, let's, let's stop there for a minute. Again, think about a couple of those things. First of all, Paul is only offering to Philemon what God has already offered to us. I've said this so many times, I think it's so important. Do you know the first three words that came out of the mouth of God in all of human history after he created the world? Some have, have done premarital counseling with me. You may or may not remember. So the first three words that come out, this is important for marriages, important for leadership. First three words. Don't feel bad if you don't know. You are free. Don't miss this. So important. Paul says, Genesis 2, 16, you were free to eat from any tree in the garden. By the way, he meant anyone. But you must not eat of this one over here because when you do, you're going to die. Could they eat of the tree? Yes. Why? Because you are you're free. God created us in freedom and we had responsibility. And then there are consequences for choosing that freedom in a way that is inconsistent with God's design. But God will not compel it. So from the beginning of us breaking the world, God already had a plan not just to force our military compliance, but to win back our hearts. God says, I want you to choose to run back to me even as I've already run. God's already initiated. You never start anything, by the way. It's not us going back to God. God was already there. And yet, God says, I want you to choose. You're free. We've always been free. Now, there's a limit to that, right? God will work with it. But God invites us to choose him so that it is a relationship. And I think it's powerful that good leadership is ultimately liberating and not dominating. That's true anywhere. But sometimes we can miss this in our everyday leadership. Sometimes we can miss it as parents, right? Now, again, we put rules and at certain ages or whatever, they don't. But the quicker... As a parent, I can get to the place where they are choosing to follow good direction as opposed to being compelled because I'm dad, the better off they're going to be. And so Paul says, I don't just want to win your, um, 
compliance, I want to win your heart. And maybe he's going for a deeper change. Could Paul have declared slavery ended in, in the church of Colossae? Sure, he had the apostolic authority to do it. But I love this line. And, I, and again, we'll pick this up next week too. I'd love some of you to weigh in on this. Why would he say, because Paul's very clear where he's sitting, Paul as not an apostle, Paul not as someone who's personally seen Jesus as he plays out on in the book of Galatians, Paul is an old man. I'm writing to you as an old man. By the way, some of you would, I won't tell him the age because some of you will check out. His old man in their culture is different old man in ours. But he said, as an old man and as a prisoner, I'm writing you. As an old man and a prisoner, not as an apostle. I'm coming, I'm sitting down with you. Here's just my thought. I mean, I was just kind of riffing on this, but I'd love you to, to brainstorm with me. Why does he say it that way as an old man? I wonder if Paul, when he was 20, Remember Paul the Pharisee? Remember what Paul did? Would Paul have approached it this way as a Pharisee? I don't think so. I think Paul would have been coming. Paul as a Pharisee, as a PhD student, you know, right? Paul would have come and dropped the gospel bomb on him. I just think, and a lot of us have probably done that at some point in our life, as a young parent, don't you remember where we were little parents, that young parents with little, little kids? You, you, yeah, you'll get to a point where you're like, oh, okay. I just, I spent so much time, I remember talking about, I spent so much energy worried about that little thing. Now I worry, I hope I worry about bigger, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? Paul's an old man. I know I'm coming. Paul has changed in the way he's challenging. I just think it's so important. So end with this picture. I heard this years and years ago. I think it was at Nashville Jubilee. I think when I came here and heard, heard the gospel in some fresh way. I can't even remember who told this story. It was a great story. Maybe some of you heard it before. So dad's driving the car, his, his little girl's in the back seat, and she's unbuckling her seatbelt and standing up. You remember the story, Melanie? He's standing up in the back seat. Dad's going, sit down, honey. She sits down for a second, then she's standing up in the back seat. Sit down. And of course, he probably he said, I'm going to sit down or I'm going to stop this car, right? So finally, you know, enough authority. Dad, you will sit down right now and you will buckle your seatbelt. And, she, and she's sitting there and she's got her face and she's, you know, riding down the road. She said, Daddy honey she said i'm sitting down but i'm standing on the inside <laughs> I thought, that's so good isn't it that's so good listen paul could have written this letter in such a way he could have commanded the church listen to me to do what the church should always do a broken man walks in the door and you throw the arms open and you say come on in someone whose life has been redeemed by the blood of jesus they come in no matter what station of life they might have walked out of. They come in the door as a brother and sister in Christ. That's the way it should. Paul said, could have said, I command you to do it. And he knows there would have been an entire church standing on the inside while Onesimus was sitting in there in the church. Rather, he would want them to say, oh, I want all of your being to choose to make operational the thing God already gave you in Christ. Does that make sense? Isn't that cool? It's part of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So I say this not just for this situation. Let's end with this. Our two applications for today. Number one, what do we share in common? And God, can you put on us the name, the heart of a family, a situation, a life, a ministry, person that we need to share that with for it to become operational? But also, can we hear the conviction in our lives? God, I don't want to be standing on the inside. You all know what God might be inviting you to do in your life today. Not for guilt, but for an opportunity Here's, what, here's my 
my goal, I just want to be, I want to be sitting down in the presence of God. I'm all in. I don't want to be standing on the inside. Father God, that's our prayer. We want to give ourselves fully to you, the one who have given yourself fully to us. There is nothing you ever ask for in scripture that you didn't already model for us in Jesus. And we thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for transforming lives. I see Paul in this text, a different man than he probably was when he began. And I see you prayerfully, powerfully, Holy Spirit, working through a little church community back then to make them even deeper and richer in their experience of the gift they have of Jesus than they were before. And Father, that's our prayer here for us individually and in our lives communally as the body of Christ here in this little corner of Franklin, Tennessee. Would you make our faith and our koinonia and our fellowship operational in a way that we will experience you in ways we never knew before? We love you in the name of Jesus. Amen.